Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. iHeartRadio today and also 50 plus AM FM stations across the country and around the world. And it is my privilege today to have Adrian Paul join us here on Skype Audio. And Adrian, welcome to the broadcast. How are you, sir? I'm good. Where, you, where are you right now? What, what, what part of the country are you in? I am in, of all places, Kansas. Kansas? Yes. You know there's probably a lot of statements about that, right? <laughs> about take your heels and all that type of stuff, right? I am, unfortunately, in the state of Kansas. Hutchinson, Kansas, to be more exact. And well, listen, uh, I am Kansas. We're, really nice. Don't, don't, don't knock it. <laughs> I never thought I'd start this interview with Adrian Paul where, where he's trying to put over Kansas and he wants me to uh, wants me to take it easy on the state of Kansas. That, that, that's got to be a first here. Of all the things we were going to talk <laughs> about, I didn't think we'd talk about that first. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, isn't it? So, Adrian, uh, there's a lot of things I want to cover, and I know we will not have time to cover them all. But uh, I do want to start with your background. You were a you were a uh, a football player, and started out as a dancer and a choreographer. Tell me a little bit about all this. Hold on, I'm gonna ask you. A, I'm gonna ask you a question first. Uh oh. You called it a football player, and you're American. Okay, soccer. I- I, I, exactly. I mean, I get, I get reamed all the time when I talk to my brothers. I'm saying, oh, my son is playing soccer. They're like, no, it's not soccer. It's football. It's football. Then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started I started playing uh, soccer, football, um, when I was really young, and uh, I loved it. Um, you know, eventually did a little bit of semi-pro, but, you know, things happen, things change, and, and uh, you know, I went on to do other stuff, and it's uh, – uh, back in England, and I just started traveling a lot. Um, I worked as a model, as a as a dancer, choreographer, uh, you know. And so, just one thing led to another, and I started traveling. Love travel. I always thought I was going to when I was a kid, um, you know. But my my father was a travel agent. I always thought, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to travel the world. That's awesome. See the sights and meet lots of girls. <laughs> So you started a group called the Peace Fund. Tell us a little bit about the Peace Fund. Yeah, Peace Fund is um, it's an organization, it's a charity. I started in 1997, uh, so it's wow. 20, uh, <laughs> too many years ago. Um, I started it uh, when I was doing Highlander uh, out of Paris because uh, I really noticed how the um, kids kind of took to celebrities. I mean, obviously, at that point, I was – you know, Highlander was in its heyday, and yep. I was kind of mobbed by kids. And I was like, you know, I want to kind of do something, you know, because I saw a lot of kids didn't have a lot of things. And I said, you know, that's, that's something I really want to, I want to do. And so I started the piece, which stands for Protect, Educate, Aid Children Every Day. And um, we started it with a program uh, that was actually headed the organization, which was Athletes and Entertainers for Kids, was headed by Shaquille O'Neal. And really? uh, I met Shaq uh, one time. Um, who's, I, it was, I mean, 
enormous is not even the word. Um, you know, his elbow was on my shoulder. So, you know, I'm looking at, at like, that's awesome. Looks at me, doing, you know, my mom really likes you. I'm like, oh, thanks. I really like, appreciate that. But um, he headed the, the uh, organization and they handed over to me a program called School Makes a Difference, where we ran celebrities through different uh, programs in the school, rotating the kids through each of the different programs. And it was, it was successful. We had it for four years and uh, we started getting, you know, a lot of work coming through, but we were really doing it with a very limited amount of staff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I was always of the belief of not really having to pay people uh, for doing charity work, that it should be something that we, we yep. give back, uh, yep. which I've maintained for 20 odd years now. You know, I mean, all our programs are really the any money that comes in really goes to the programs or the things that we're actually partnering with. And um, we handed it off for about two years uh, because it, well, I was really busy with work. And um, then my the tsunami of 2004 came and. Um, my brother was out there and I saw the kids in Thailand that had lost fathers and mothers and had, uh, you know, that were injured and needed help. And so we raised a lot of money for them and went over there, partnered with one organization. And I realized that was possibly the best way for us to proceed. And we started partnering with different charities around the world. Uh, we've done things out of the UK, um, the US, of course, um, Thailand, uh, Cambodia, uh, done a lot of different, a lot of different places, and uh, funding with different uh, organisations, helping them do things like build schools or, or dental clinics or housing. Or that's awesome. A lot of different things. So you know, we kind of, you know, it's, it's been that, and then you know, I started a radio show of my own in uh, 2012, which has now done over 600 hours of um, of radio. Yep. Uh, where we talk about all different organizations. I, I, I interviewed different charities from all the places I was traveling um, to find out, you know, what they were doing. And I, what I soon found, realized was a lot of charities were doing the same thing in different areas and weren't really communicating. And I, you know, the idea was then yes. to sort of try and get people to understand. And that's kind of it. It's, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd be in Maine, for instance, and there'd be a charity dealing with, um, uh, foster youths, and then I'll be somewhere in the south of America, uh, uh, south southern part of the states, and there'll be another one doing the same thing. And I'm like, do you guys know about each other? No. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> you know. And so the idea was to kind of get people introduced to these charities, especially in the areas that they were uh, living, because uh, you know, whenever something happens, is only the real time when you start searching for a charity, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's around yeah. the corner. Um, you know, and so, you know, food banks, for instance, especially in, in this past year, yes. you don't know where the food banks are. You're not used to them. Uh, you know, there are lines in England, for instance, there was a two mile, two mile wow. tailback for food, food um, pantries and stuff. And that's happened wow. in the United States as well. So, you know, to know where that is, that was our, our job to sort of let people be informed on, on what was going around on in different states, different countries. Well, I had a uh, well, and we we still do have an organization called Concerts for a Cause that I started here in Hutchinson, Kansas, where we we do community concerts and we raise money for nonprofits, you know, food banks, th things of that nature. And uh, there were a lot of charities that I, for whatever reason, I couldn't get a lot of these charities to work together, and so funny. <laughs> I, I was having to get. So funny. It's, a, it's simple. It's funding. 
I was, yeah. I, I'm still in the mind of doing something like this, which is like a Facebook for charities, but they tried it in the Caribbean. They had like, I don't know, uh, uh, many charities, but the problem is nobody wants to give away their source of funding. Yes. Yes. Everybody else is like, well, I'm going to steal it. You know, I don't want to tell them who I'm, you know, yep. so that's part of it. But to me, it's not about just funding. It's about sharing information. What's good in, in one state uh, can work again in another state and it has nothing yes. to do or affect the other, uh, other, other charity, you know? So, yeah. um, I think that's it's important to realize that. We've got Adrian Paul with us today. He joins us live here on Skype Audio to discuss a myriad of issues. Uh, we talked a little bit about his background and the Peace Fund. Uh, another thing that you've done is this sword experience. Uh, <laughs> this, you know, one of the things... Uh, I have recently gotten back into watching, re-watching uh, the Highlander series. And at one point I decided, you know, I want to interview Adrian Paul. And trying to track you down is, I, I could track down Joe Biden before I could track you down. It has been a tough piece of business. And, uh, really? yes, I'm, I, I'm I, surprised. I, I'm all over the internet. I went, <laughs> I, I, I usually start with Twitter. And I went to Twitter, and I sent you a few tweets, and then I noticed that you you correspond on Twitter, but you don't really correspond back with people on Twitter. And I'm like, okay, well, I got to figure out another avenue. And I went through all these different folks, and I finally tracked you down via the Sword Experience, and I talked to a few people over there, and they have been amazing, and they're part of the reason why we're doing this interview today. So I, I want to put over the sword experience. Let's talk a little bit about this. That this is a heck of a uh, piece of business that you guys are doing around the country. Yeah, it's uh, we've done nine countries so far, which is yeah. kind of cool. Um, you know, it, it, the, the the premise of it came from obviously Highlander. People had asked me for years to do sword videos and do teaching, etc. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have time to do that. And then I got to a kind of 2015, 14, 15, and then I, I saw how many um, sword uh, um, series and films were still being made and, and the yes. interest, interest in them. And I'm like, well, there's something to do. And then somebody came up and said to me, oh, you know what? Um, this kid needs, um, needs some money for, I can't remember, it was an operation or something. I said, you know what, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll do a little event and I'll teach people some sword stuff and we'll just donate it to charity. And... Uh, I got a bunch of people. I got within like a couple of weeks. I was like, oh my gosh, this is interesting. So I said, let me just test this format. So the idea was to teach somebody the choreography from a film that they'd seen or, or a series that they'd seen. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it started at conventions uh, pretty much. So I, I, for the next six to eight months, I did like five or six different events and sold out in a couple of them. And I went, actually, this is not bad. It's just kind of fun because I also get to do a little bit of directing because what we gave people was, uh, you know, there were packages with, with photos and um, photos with me, as well as the video from the event, which was cut together, yes. as well as uh, the photographs from the event as well. As well. So it's a whole package. And I said, well, actually, it works pretty good. So we started the Sword Experience in 2016, got, uh, you know, our official uh, um, uh, status really uh, toward the end of that year. And, um, you know, since that time, it's really kind of grown uh, much more because now we do events in castles and, uh, um, gosh, uh, we'll do all different types of places uh, where we take people. And I give them an experience. That's why it's called the sword experience. It's not I'm teaching you a sword style. I'm t I realized then after about three or four years that 
all sword styles really are the same when you're yes. dealing with the angle you have to cut. Whether I'm dealing with a, um, you know, a, a, what should we call it, a, a, a katana, or whether it's a, um, what's, hold on, my phone is ringing. Believe it or not, <laughs> you're a busy guy. <laughs> yeah, I, like, yeah, my wife needs me, of course. You know, it's like. Yeah, there you go. Um, sorry about that. Uh, so, no, yeah, so, no, 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 no. You're 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 a busy guy. No, and 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 you bring up uh, something that that you know most of these sword styles because I have uh, a jujitsu instructor who you years ago uh, we did a little uh, Filipino uh, stick fighting and comparing that to some of the other sword styles, you are correct. It's basically the same stuff they have the same yeah, points the that they the strike same. with if i've got, a, if I've got a, if I've got a a katana compared to having a broadsword or i'm still going to try and cut you in the vulnerable vulnerable spots yes so uh, you know i i suddenly realized that and, and working with all different instructors i mean what we do is we, we get instructors in the different places we're at so if somebody's interested in we have a, uh, an instructor that can continue working with then and there and from that, it kind of turned into, you know, from the, the choreographed part, parts of it, it, turned into realizing that HEMA, which is historical European martial arts or or, yep. or um, fans or people that were stage choreographers or stunt people or anybody that dealt with uh, martial arts had the same thing in mind. You still have to be able to target. And yes. so, um, you know, we then went into creating our academies and our academy basically I actually have one coming up this weekend in Boston. And uh, that basically is um, all things from fitness to uh, technique, which is all the targeting drills and fun little games you play to target people, and then performance on top of that. So that academy event now uh, is, uh, has, has evolved into another form that we have. And um, it's kind of it's interesting how the amount of people that come through from very backgrounds that are interested in sword work kind of really justifies the fact of actually starting this and realizing that it's kind of still innate in our genes as to having, whether you're doing it for fun or whether you're doing it to learn something yeah. as, a, as a martial artist or as a stage choreographer, it's still very much part of our culture. Well, speaking of martial arts, we have got Adrian Paul with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast here on iHeartRadio and also 50 plus AM FM stations across the country and around the world. Uh, I noticed doing a little bit of prep on your background. You have you have some uh, Hungar Kung Fu and uh, Shaolin Kung Fu background. How, how how do you apply that to your to your sword uh, events? Uh, you know, the, I was taught uh, by a very good instructor uh, doing Hungar Kung Fu. He's Vernon uh, Rieda. He's actually out in uh, Hawaii, and uh, he t he told me one thing. He said, you know. You really, open hand forms are very much like weapons, and yes. uh, you can adjust them very accordingly. And so, I was also taught by Bob Anderson, who was a stage choreographer, but also the head of the Olympic fencing team. Wow. And he was always about targeting. He was always about using the location and the and the and the area in, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. And so, a lot of that gets gets put into the events that we do now. Uh, based on you know the ground we have, the the place that we actually do the, the event, um, and and so you know I tell people a lot of the time you don't 
put the sword fight into the location, you create the sword fight around the location. Wow. And so that's, you know, that's, that's very much like, well, it, it is, you know, it's like wow. if you're in a bar, or if, I'm in, if I'm in a tight area, I can't swing. So I have to yeah. adjust for the area, right? So yeah. or if I'm in a, in a room with chairs and desks and all that stuff, you know, I can't do the things I would normally do with a big swing. So I have to adjust what I've got. And one of the things I tell people all the time, and it's really, really important to understand this today, especially in the past year that we've had, that when it's the statement I tell them all the time, is that for a species to survive, it has nothing to do with their intelligence or their strength, but their inability to adapt. Yes. And we have to adapt in the situation we're in. So that applies to the martial art world as well. That's amazing. It is Adrian Paul. He's with us today here on our big broadcast. And, uh, you know, doing all the doing all the different martial arts and the the swordsmanship. Um, what what part of the swordsmanship are you more attracted to? Is, is it the actual, you know, using of the blade, or you know, what 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 attracts you to to that? I think it's the uh, it's the physical movement and the conversation that you have when you when you have a blade um you know it, it is a dance in a sense yes because it and it's a flow it has a flow of its own which is hard to understand when you don't do so or don't do sword that a blade um is like a golf club um i don't know those of you that play golf <laughs> that right, is know what the, what the ug version is right yeah you know you go oh you want to swing it as hard as you can because you're trying but you're not making the weapon do what it's supposed to, or the club do what it's supposed to do, which is yes. swing. You swing a club. You don't club it. You don't. So the same thing applies to a sword. The sword has its own flow when you're actually moving through the air, and that way you you have to understand that that's what you have to start to let it move. You're you're just a tool to move this thing through the air to the target that you want. Wow, that is incredible. Now I want to talk about your acting. Uh, you have acted not just in Highlander, but you've done many movies, TV shows. Uh, what, what, what attracted you to getting into to acting? What, what was one of the main reasons why, why you decided to, to come to the United States and, and pursue acting? You know, the funny thing is when I, when I first started as a kid, I acted when I was like 13 years old and I loved it and I loved being on stage and, you know, and then I thought, yeah, I'm going to be famous. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's what I want to be. I want to meet the girls and be famous. You know, that's where we are. We're 14, 15, 16. But, you know, after that point, I lost interest in it. And um, until I started doing dance and in dance, I, I was doing these small vaudevillian type shows where we were kind of miming to a degree in this stuff and i really love being on stage and i said you know what this is something i should try because you know i like it and somebody said you know why you? so i started studying in england and then when i came to the states uh like about a year or so afterwards two years afterwards i said you know i'm coming to california i've got a friend of mine that this is kind of the world where the acting is let me start taking some some more lessons here and um I did, and, and it wasn't until about, I'd say about another year or two afterwards that I really realized this was a passion that I wanted to do because it made me feel something. And, I, and I, yeah. I'll always remember the scene. I can remember the, the room I was watching. I, I, I watched this one scene. Uh, there was an uh, acting teacher who, who passed on since, but uh, his name was Roy London. He taught a lot of people like Helen Hunt and Brad Pitt and a lot of other people. And they were doing the scene, and I really – 
understood. It made me feel something. And I said, that's what I want. I want, I want to make people feel something. So it kind of changed as it evolved. And after that, I went to acting teachers and voice coaches and movement coaches and all this type of stuff. Um, and so that kind of got me into the, into the, the thing. But I mean, the funny thing is the first job I ever got, I kind of got it on, well, a first agent I ever got, I kind of got it on chance. I, I, um, was in a, <laughs> I was in a store, I was in a, a photo reproducing place. I put my headshot in cause I'm like, I, I need to get an agent, I guess, yes. you know? So, and this girl's in there and she says, Oh, hi, how are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And, uh, you know, while I'm writing down my information for, to, to get these things printed. And she says, have you got an agent? I said, no, she, oh, she, I've got an agent for you. I said, ah, yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Thanks a lot. You know, uh, yeah, I'll think about it. Yeah, I left. And, uh, I'm like, she's hitting on me, you know, you know she, I'm like, but I'm not interested and I don't want, so that night I go home and there's a message on my answering machine. Hi, I'm the girl at the store. You know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, how does she get my number? Anyway, <laughs> she says, I've got, I've got an agent for you. I'm like, all right, fine. So I call her and uh, she says, listen, I'm not trying to pick you up or anything. Um, but I <laughs> First think, words out of her mouth. <laughs> I, got, I, yeah, exactly. I said, but I've got this agent who you know, really wants to meet you. And, um, you know, I told her you're kind of like, look, look a bit like James Bond. And, 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 you know, you should go up to the new James Bond thing. But she really wants to talk to you. I'm like, well, what, what have you got out of this? She said, well, the, no. I said, well, how did you get my number? She goes, oh, I got it from the sheet you signed in on. <laughs> of course she did. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? Okay. So I went to meet this agent, and I met a couple of others afterwards. But I really liked this lady. And within three months, I got the Colby's, which was the first thing I ever got here in the States. Wow. And, you know, and, and so that basically was kind of what started my career, really. And I, I, I kept in contact with her for a while, and she, was, she became kind of a friend, but that was about it. Um, but you know, it was, it was funny how, you know, you kind of chance sometimes has a, has a part to play in, in the things that uh, happen to you in life and you can decide to act on it or not. Now, starting in the acting world, uh, we've got Adrian Paul with us today and, uh, st starting in acting, what was, what was memorizing dialogue, the, the hardest part of it or, what what was the hardest part when you first what, what started acting? Well, getting the character together. Yeah. You know, the, the, the dialogue's not necessarily the hardest part because, um, you know, you get that becomes a muscle memory. It's like uh, when you're running, you eventually, you're not, you're not really fit when you first start. Yeah. But then as you do it, your muscles kind of get used to that particular motion. And it gets, becomes easier. Same thing with, with dialogue. The hardest part is always, you know, is not to act. <laughs> to have all the technique, <laughs> but not to act. Not to act. Yeah, because you need to not act in that role. You do that on stage, you know? Um, so if I did that on, on, on screen, it would be like, oh, what's going on there? And, and then understanding the difference between stage and TV and film. The amount of uh, things you actually have to project in each is, is slightly different. So, you know, on stage, you're, you, you're, you're really working towards the proscenium march, which is really out there. You're pushing everything out there, including sword work, you know. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I talk about that because I've seen some, uh, you know, choreographers or, or stage plays where they kind of push the, the sword to here. It's not really the cuts that they're doing correctly. Um, so the same thing applies there. But if you did that in a film, it would look a bit staged, if you pardon the pun, but, um, 
you know, the same thing applies to acting. It's it's kind of um, I think it, it it's where you push a little bit too far sometimes, and and then to make it real is, is you know, it's, it's a hard thing. An acting teacher said to me that Adrian, you don't need to do anything. Do all the work, then don't do anything else. Just be you. But and he didn't mean be me. Just me. Just let it go and just be in the part. Yeah, which just, I think Meryl just Streep it... does the best of all. I mean, I, I, the the role she plays, where she absolutely becomes a part, but is a totally different person, is astounding yes. to me. Yes, it it is. It is truly an art. Uh, the 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 world of acting. We have got Adrian Paul with us today. Now you've also done some choreography for for various. Uh, projects uh, talk to us about some of the different uh some of the different projects that you've done choreography for well you know when, when you do when you do films a lot of the time you end up being um kind of in the role and you kind of come up with different things that uh, help the choreography that you're doing i mean uh there are a couple of things i did one called the um, uh the immortal voyages of captain drake which was a kind of a, I, I turned it into a spoof um, <laughs> because, well, well, the reason why is because, um, you know, it, I, I could see that it's possibly going to be a B movie. And I was like, oh, I've got to make something fun out of this. And I, I did research, which I always do on characters uh, and uh, found that um, Captain Drake was a really egotistical man. So I played him totally egotistic <laughs> uh, and self-centered. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, everybody started running around and people were like, oh, wait a minute, this is comedy now. And it worked, kind of worked that way. And as we were doing it, um, they didn't have a, sunk, a stunt coordinator, a sword um, coordinator, really. And so I started putting all the, all the stuff together. Um, I did that in that one. I didn't get credited for it, but, you know, a lot of the fights were my choreography, as well as something called The Breed, which is something I did. Um, I put the... the all the the ideas of the stunt, uh, the fights in it, and the the way the things. If you, it's a it's a film, which was shot in Hungary, and um, I went. I was playing a vampire, and playing a vampire, you know, I wanted to fly through the air shooting guns. Um, it was it's really interesting. It was I I really liked that movie. It's really kind of a fun thing. But you know, I came up with this idea of um, using a trampoline to fly through the air um, <laughs> and land, and you know, so, so but. I got injured badly in that one, um, which where I learned something very valuable, um, you know, which <laughs> was the wrong time to learn it. But um, <laughs> I told I told the choreographer, I told the stunt master that I wanted to do this flying where I jump up in the air, revealing the guns. First of all, doing a backflip and then jumping in the air, right? And uh, I knew how to do a backflip. Um, I studied it on trampolines into into foam pads, and I showed him how to, I, I was able to do that. And I said, "Do you know how to do wire work?" This was back in two thousand and one. Yes, yes. And uh, it was the beginning of that whole thing of the changeover from the Chinese, you know, um, uh, flying. To, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, oh, oh yeah, uh, I... Precious Tiger, Hidden Dragon yeah. era. You know, where all the the movies from from China were coming over these oh, fantastic yeah. fly aerial things they were doing, and Just so they were starting doing it in the West. And I said work. to this guy, I said, "Listen." Uh, do you do wire work? He goes, oh, yes, of course we do wire work. No problem. And I'm like, okay, um, can I see? Can we go to the gym? He goes, oh, we have gym. We have gym. Come to the gym. Yeah. Okay, so I go to the gym, and my stunt double is about another 20 pounds, 30 pounds heavier than me, big guy, and I, he's an ex-rugby player. 
And uh, they've got three guys. If you know anything about why, the way they do it, they put a belt on you or a yes. harness on you. And, the, yes. and depending on where you fly is where they pick you from. In other words, where they attach the wires to your, your waist or to your shoulders or which way, depending on which way you're going to turn. Well, he was uh, picked at the waist so that you could rotate between the wires as you got pulled into the air. Wow. And then, so there were two pulls. One was when he goes backflip into the air, land on the feet, and then pulled again when he tries to jump up in the air to pull the guns out. So I watched them do it three times. And I'm looking at him going, if I try flipping like that, I'm going to over-rotate because he's much heavier than I am, and they'll, they'll just over-pull me. So I said, all right, don't worry about it. So we watch it. And the one rule, whenever you do any stunt, is the stunt guy does it first, and we do exactly what, what that was. That's exactly the same. So I go in. They put the, the, the harness on me. They pick it up. And I'm, I have the stunt coordinator standing in front of me. And the guy's about to pull me from behind. And he says, are you ready? And I said, yeah. He said, we go in three. I said, okay. Then he said something in Hungarian I didn't understand. And he goes, okay, one, two, three. I went backwards. They didn't pull. I landed on, on my head. Literally oh, on my head. No. I had I had neck damage. I was in the hospital. I had to go and have X-rays and all this stuff. He's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." <laughs> I'm like, hey, "This ain't funny, son." It's like yeah. you know, I could have broken my neck here. Yes. And um, you know, uh, so what I learned was he said to them, "Don't pull him because he knows how to do a back handspring," and that's something you never do. Oh. Never do that so they didn't pull because so as i went back thinking i was just waiting for them to put pick me up in Holy the air crap. i didn't go i didn't extend back far enough and i just landed right on my on my head so you learn a lot of things along the way <laughs> wow uh, it wasn't the first wasn't the first time i landed on my head the first time I was at doing highlander but uh that was before the Cannes film festival but you know um sorry the monte carlo film film festival uh, wow. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm used to injuries, but you know, silly. Like <laughs> yes, that, but really but not like, something that could have been hugely catastrophic. Oh yeah, hugely. I could, I could have been paralyzed. Yeah, um, you know, and uh, so you know, I learned a lot of stuff uh, in that. And 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 when you work with different teams, I've worked with teams from Hong Kong. I've worked with Hungarians, Lithuanians, French, Canadian, etc. The rule of thumb usually is that. Um, uh, and most people do things the same, but slightly different. And you just have to really be understanding that, you know, be very clear when you do stunts that, uh, you know, you understand exactly what the parameters of that particular movement is. That is just, you, you, you had a, a guardian angel or somebody watching out for you that day. Holy yeah. I mean, uh, the first, first time it happened to me was on Highlander. Yeah. And <laughs> as they also tell you, I mean, as I said, I've done a lot of stunts and I've, and I've been injured several times. Yeah. Uh, small. You know, uh, but the one time I was doing Highlander, about to go off to the Monte Carlo Film uh, TV and Film Festival that evening, I was yeah. supposed to leave on the Friday and come back on the Sunday, Monday night. Uh, the last shot of the day was the director having a close up of me on a on a staircase, and at the bottom of the staircase was where the stairs flattened out, and then a few more steps down to the ground level. Well, there was a banister there that he wanted me to jump over, and. Um, we weren't going to do the main stunt. We were just doing the close up from the, the from the, the the camera on the side. And I said, "Do you want me to do the jump?" He said, "Yeah, you may as well do it. It'll cut well with whatever we shoot." You on might as well do it. Yeah, right. Just that. so I, they put down a very small thin pack. So I'm jumping off. If you can imagine a staircase banister, is at about six, seven, well, about seven feet. Yeah, uh, it's about seven feet. When you're jumping over it, you're you're around about now. You're around about ten feet, eight, nine, ten feet. 
So as I do the, the, the thing, I jump the banister. And, and because it's either the end of the day, I'm tired. I don't know what it was. The jeans were too tight. My foot caught the top of the banister. So I flipped and landed on my head frontwise. Oh, no. And uh, that was the first time. And I went to the, the, the uh, MRIs and all this stuff, and they put a neck brace on me. And they said, you know, you've got to put a neck brace on. So I go to the, the film festival that evening. I'm in a tuxedo wearing a, 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 a neck brace. And I'm like, I can't wear this thing. This is ridiculous. I'm, I'm, so I took the thing off. I'm like, yeah. And I end up at a four, five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock and whatever it was, in a club dancing, which was the wrong thing for me to do. <laughs> The minute you, minute you take off the collar, your neck is vulnerable. And yes. I was in pain for a year after that. And luckily, I got, I got lucky through a chiropractor who actually put, put me back in. He said, this was like a hole in one. But I really realized the second time when it happened to keep that neck brace on for 10 days at least because your neck is the one thing that governs absolutely everything yes. else. Everything. We have got Adrian Paul with us today. Uh, having a very interesting conversation here about acting and, and, and everything. Now, you've done some voice work as well. T- talk to me about uh, some of the different uh, roles that you've voiced. I know you did one for uh, War of the Worlds. I believe it came out in 2012. Yeah, that was that was kind of fun. Some of the Highlander cast was, that was involved in that, as well as uh, David Abramowitz, who was the writer on Highlander. He teamed up with uh, a company out of uh, Singapore, and they did this War of the Worlds animation. So we, we played some of these characters. I played an Irishman, uh, which was fun because, um, you know, it was fun with some of the other people. Although I didn't really see them. I went into a booth and did my bit and they did yeah. theirs. But, you know, I've done um, – voiceover work's kind of fun because you roll out of bed in the morning. It doesn't matter what you look like. <laughs> you just go into a booth and sound booth. <laughs> yeah, you just you go know. into a sound booth. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, but I um, – Another one I did was a book story by George R. R. Martin, who um, I'd, I'd actually worked for him before. Um, and those of you who don't know who George R. R. Martin was, he's the guy that created Game of Thrones, who wrote yep. the book for Game of Thrones. Yep. Um, and he also did Beauty and the Beast back in uh, the 1980s. Uh, I think it was 80s, late 80s, that uh, Ron Perlman was the Beast. Yes. And, uh, yes. Right. And I, I, I worked, uh, I did an episode of that. So. Uh, I did um, this book thing that was that was thirty or forty different characters, and everyone had a different voice. Wow! And that was kind of difficult. Uh, the thing I realized about George R. R. Martin's writing, which is brilliant, brilliant, is how intricate uh, it is. Where he starts a story from one point, and then takes a character, and then that character loses for about I don't know three, four episodes, right? and then he brings them back in, and the whole thing is still interwoven and that character's got the same mark as it had going in as it does coming out and yet you've already listened to another 10 15 20 different characters along the way that have again been interwoven into this story that's why game of thrones was so brilliant a lot of the lot of the characters you had um you know there was one uh, there's a famous line there which is uh um hold door hold the door hold the door which was you know he, he looked like he was mutiny and it's the only thing he could say but from season one, this guy's saying this line, and in season five or six, it was I don't know what season it was. You suddenly find out he's saying, Hold the door, and <laughs> and this thing has basically been run through god knows how many episodes already the 20 or 30 episodes, and this is how it was written. So, I found out that I find that interesting when when writers can actually think that far ahead and and create a Bible that has that type of uh, detail to it. So, you know, it's fun, fun doing uh, voiceover stuff sometimes. Uh, I haven't done a lot of it recently, um, but um, 
Yeah, it's kind of fun to do. I, I'm into production now, so. Well, that's that that's that's awesome. What 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 have you been doing with uh what what with the production side of things? Well, we we I've um you know I'm I'm probably directing an, a small short later this year and probably a film next year, uh, as well as in, I'm involved in a, a studio uh, project in Europe, um, which is the the production side of things, the um, servicing. I don't know if many of you know that when the tax credit situation when you have independent films tax credits are very important for independent producers because yes. it allows them a 20 30 40% discount or return on their money by the state the government etc and every state and government basically has a different rule to it um one of the main rules uh, for most of the for most everywhere actually is uh, they have to have a, a company or a servicing company that would service a production that was coming in. So in other words, if you if you are a, an American company, you go to Canada, you have to work with a Canadian company so that you can actually apply for the tax credits in that country to so you can make your 30% or whatever the tax credit is back from your budget. So I have a servicing company in Hungary. Uh, Hungary is now virtually fully booked with studios uh, now. And, um, you know, wow. I, I'm working in the studio system in that, in that way with... Uh, bringing that together. So, you know, there's a couple of things we've got in the pipeline, which are kind of exciting, but I can't kind of say anything about that yet. That's, but, um, Hey, that's, that, that's tremendous that you're, uh, that you've kind of come full circle. You've, you've, you've done a little bit of everything. You know, you know the thing is, as an actor, I'm getting older now and, and the roles are not as, as, as many. Um, and you have to adapt to do, to doing different things. And, uh, I mean, sometimes you can become, uh, an actor and you, you have a career that goes all the way through, but it doesn't happen to everybody. And that's why I think a lot of young actors don't understand is that you're only as famous or as good as what the product is. You, you yes. are at that time. If the, the yes. flavor of the month goes out, bye-bye, you're done for, for a while because the agents are not going to, they don't care. Agents and managers really, I'm not saying all of them, but I say a lot of them are there to do, they're there to get their job done, which is sell an actor to somebody, to a producer yes. and, and make, and then there's, competitions that go on between actors and managers in the same company as to who can get the most so it's not about what you want in your career it's about who they can sell best so you know to me that's kind of a you have to understand that there is it's called show business for a reason <laughs> yes yes <laughs> right right so as an actor you want to be creative you want to be you know actors are the creative sub you also have to think on a business side as well that you are a product that needs to be sold You've hit that on the head, my friend. It's Adrian Paul. He's with us today here on our big program here on iHeartRadio and also 50-plus AMFM stations across the country and around the world. And uh, I couldn't have Adrian Paul on without talking about Highlander. Um, <laughs> first of all, what is it like when you go out to these Comic-Cons and these conventions? Because I started going to uh, covering a few of these Comic-Cons uh, years ago. And just watching these 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 comic book marks just mob uh, the celebrities and the cosplayers, and it's like a whole nother country. What is it like from your perspective as an invited guest at at, at a comic con? You know, um, as an actor, you kind of, or if you're, you have any sort of notoriety or you're recognized for what you do you really kind of um live in a shell 
um, because you don't see who um, is appreciative of what you're doing or what the reaction is to what you're doing. Yeah. So um, as going to a convention, it's different because everybody's there to sort of see you and there are people that recognize you and people that don't. Yeah. Um, and different people have – what's always amazed me is uh, some people I've never even heard of have a massive line. And I'm like, oh, so you have to understand this industry is kind of very diverse. But the one thing people ask me is, and I've been asked this question several times, so what's it like being around all these nerds? And I went, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. <laughs> First of all, these nerds, which – because let's be honest. It's only been the past 20 years that conventions like this have been massive box yes. office or box office draws. Boss, uh, draws with 20, yeah. 30, 50, 40, 100,000 people at them. Yeah. Prior to that, it was it was kind of under the radar. You know, the San Diego Comic Con started with like a couple hundred people. You know, it wasn't, yes. it wasn't <laughs> a lot, right? Yes. And, and everybody uh, tabled everybody as those nerds. Well, those nerds, what difference are those nerds to the people that go to football games or baseball games and paint their faces blue and white and, and take right. their shirts off and jump up. And down. There's no difference. <laughs> There's absolutely There's no, no difference. No difference. It's, it's just, it's just a different way of expressing yourself. Something yeah. else you like to do. So I'm just like, those nerds now have become mainstream. The studios pay a lot of money to take their yes. films, etc., so that these people go and watch those films. Yes. So you have to respect the people that, that uh, come to you. And I'm always, you know, yes, there are some people that take things too far. Yeah. But, you know, that's yeah. why you have, you know, the people working with you so that, uh, you know, those people can be sort of gently, you know, um, ushered a different direction. <laughs> yes. That's that's yeah. fantastic the way you put that. <laughs> that is that is tremendous. It is Adrian Paul. He's with us today here on our program. And, uh, you know, what – Years and years ago, uh, Sam Roberts, the, the the guy who was Flash Gordon in the, uh, the the 70s movie, they made a documentary about him going out to these Comic-Cons. And he couldn't believe the kind of reception he was getting from people. He's like, people remember me? <laughs> is, what, 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 That's what, funny, isn't it, that? Was it that way when, when you started doing these conventions and, and people are like, you know, Highlander went off and like, the series went off the air in 98. <laughs> it's like, you know, 2000, whatever, and you're getting mobbed at these conventions. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it still surprises me now. I mean, the, the, there's such a uh, – Highlander is, is one of those things. It's one of those cult series, really, or yes. cult franchises in a sense uh, that people remember. It, it affected them very deeply. Uh, many people because it uh, it had something that people could were connecting to whether it's because it was the one tv show they were sitting in front of and and they could sit in front with their with their dad or their mom who they didn't necessarily get on with most of the time yeah. but they sat in front of Highland because they both liked it or you know or the the kid loved to do martial arts because he saw the sword stuff and it gave him some discipline but yes the, the amount of yeah. things that happened because of that so you but you never realize you don't really ever understand where people closet highlander or closet fans period are you know i mean the you know i've had you know nasa literally nasa scientists go oh, i'm a huge highlander fan that's you know, awesome really? okay that's that's nice that's, you, know, so, you know so it really depends on on who it, and, and it does surprise you a lot of the time and uh, and you're right you know after after a while the, the difference between what is now and there's, there's a 
an interesting story. I've told this before, but I'll tell it again anyway. Um, there was a concert a few years back, about three, four years ago, something like that. And it was, a, I think, a Kanye West concert. And um, the fans afterwards were like, oh, my God, that was a great concert. It was all online. An amazing concert. And that old guy on the piano, he's going to be famous after this. Well, the old guy on the piano happened to be Paul McCartney. <laughs> from... <laughs> right. And I'm like, that's where fame, people don't understand. Fame dies. It doesn't, yes. you know, you, yes, you can be remembered. The big ones get remembered. Elvis and, you know, uh, uh, De Niro, Pacino. They, they'll always be remembered because they're the, 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 the echelon, the, the top of that. But in reality, celebrities really, the idea of a celebrity, you in 10 years' time, the new generation, or 20 years' time, won't even know who you are. They'll have no idea. Yeah. The majority of them. Yeah. So what matters right now? What does it matter what you do? It matters who you are and what you give your kids and what you leave as a legacy. It's not your fame. It's not the money. Yep. Because when you die, you don't want more money. You want more time. And so, yes. you know, it's, it's like it's like uh, got to realize, realize that there is a different portion of life that can gratify you rather than having all that other stuff. You know, you 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 just uh, you're you're just tremendous. You you have been just dropping all sorts of nuggets of knowledge here. Uh, this this has been fun. We have got Adrian Paul with us today, and of course, uh, Highlander the series was on the air from uh, 1992 to 1998, and then there were several movies made afterwards uh going through you know what what rewatching uh highlander as i've been doing fairly recently uh i've come up against the fact that there were a couple movies made after um what is this what i i noticed there was so much just doing my research there are so many people that have Good things to say and bad things to say about Highlander the Source. Why is that such oh, yeah. a controversial movie? Because I watched it a couple times. I'm like, well, this is fine. This works. This is a Highlander movie. I, I think the reason for that was because it was it 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 lost its the Highlander two, which was put in space. The producers, when they were alive, kind of went, well, what Highlander 2? We didn't do that. Because it took the, the genre <laughs> took it to a different place, which people were not used to. You know, the Highlander, the movie, the first one, was based kind of in reality, the feeling of the, the source, the idea that there are other immortals, but running through time. It was it was based in history. It was based in a lot of, whereas that one took it out to outer space, which was way before its time. And people just weren't appreciative of that. Of that. And then when we did the source, it was a little bit disjointed in the sense it, it took it into that fantasy uh, area. And um, the concept behind it was good. But what, what had happened was when we first got the script, I was told, you know, I was uh, sent a, a script by um, uh, the writer of the series. He said that I've, I've just written the, the film thing and this is here's one of the scenes from it and blah, blah, blah. And it sounded great. I was like, oh, this is actually really good. This is some really good meaty, you know, character development. When I got the script, it wasn't anything like that. It was totally different. I'm like, what's this? This has no edge to it. It's nothing. And, and it was because the producers, or one of them at the time, 
had decided, you know, no, we're going to go this way with it and uh, we'll sell this to Lionsgate this way and we'll sell it about action and we'll sell it. And it became such a um, misdirected uh, view between what the director wanted to do and there was no real producer on the set except for me, which was very hard because I was also the lead actor because the, yeah. the, one of the producers was in Los Angeles. The other producer happened to have been uh, in, in an accident when we were in Cannes and he had, uh, had to have surgery so he was hardly on barely on the set and i was like uh, okay you know and so when the idea at the end came up i don't think anybody really knew what to do with it and the, i'd say the movie was good three quarters of the way through and then kind of lost its its way through because of the visual effects and everything else that was attached to it at the end and that's why it was like uh, i don't really get this i don't get see how it works well i i like i said i've i've watched it a few times i've i've seen all this you know, pe people will put it over online. People will bury it online. I'm like, so I just, I, that was one of the main things I wanted to ask you was what was the, wh wh why did people hate that movie so much? Because <laughs> it, to me, it was not really, that big of a deal. It, it looked like an Islander it, it movie. Wasn't really, it wasn't really Highlander. And it wasn't my favorite movie. I'll be honest. It wasn't my favorite yeah. movie. And, I mean, I thought Endgame was probably, apart from the first ones, the best of all of them. Uh, yeah. You know, um between you know the, the first movie obviously has its um benefits because it's the first and that's again it's like it's like i i, I in my career I've, I've been the lead in or been part of the lead in four series yeah and what i've what i've realized is that fans get attached to a character yeah if somebody else comes in to try yes. and change and, and replace that character they have a very hard time accepting that new thing because they're used to that character. I was originally supposed to be Connor McLeod. And thank goodness uh, uh, Christophe Lambert was available. I suddenly had to become Duncan McLeod, which was <laughs> now the ability to actually create a brand new character. Yeah. Whereas, rather than do it, otherwise, I would be totally compared to the first one. And that's what everybody does with the, with the movies. The first film was so iconic, it was so great. Like Sean Connery in it. Oh, yeah. Christophe was Islander, you know, all these new stuff about quickenings and beheadings and sword fights and history and love affairs and all this, that it was, it took people's breath away in a sense. They had queen as well as the music was yes. astounding. Yes. When you can try and put the other stuff to it, you're always comparing it to that one. And so if it doesn't quite live up to what your idea is, it's really hard for you to change your mind and change your allegiance to another, another type of movie. Um, so, you know, the second one, uh, the final dimension, uh, sorry, that was the, uh, one out of space. I can't even remember the name of it because I've, I've kind of blocked it out as well. Um, <laughs> but there was the third one, which was, was the final dimension. Uh, there's di different ones that, uh, you know, I think um, were not as good as I think the one which we did, uh, Christopher and I both did, which was Endgame. Yes. yes. And uh, the, uh, the last one, the source really didn't, I don't think it had as much, uh, I think it was good up to a point, And then I just, I don't know, it just lost it for me. Well, one even, of even having what yeah. one of the things with Highlander that I that I always liked and was the fact that you guys had at least the first season uh, a lot of a lot of guest stars every week it was somebody new and it was always a name like you had Joan Jett on one and uh, you had uh, which was kind of strange me rewatching it I I happened to notice this but the guy who played Bowl on Night Court was in Highlander and. <laughs> It's yeah, like that's right. there, there were, yeah, you know, we had, 
talk to me about that. The, had, some of the different. Yeah, we had we had Rob Stewart who'd been yeah. on the series. We yeah. had uh, Jerry Jet. We had uh, Roger Daltrey. Yes. We had the Roland Gift. <laughs> Uh, you know, awesome, great. I mean, Roger and I actually, I'd love Rogers. He's fantastic. Um, you know, to play with him. You know, and uh, I haven't spoken to him in a while. I'm actually, I'm actually about to call him again now because we're actually going to have a uh, Highlander uh, convention, online convention in August, wow. which is going through the Sword Experience. So, so I'm trying to get all the. There's a lot of a lot of the people that were in the movies and the, and the uh, films we're trying to bring together for that for one or maybe two day event, maybe a one day event, but we're not sure yet, but uh, we're working on that right now. But, you know, these people were so, you know, a lot of fun to work with, you know, yes. it was, uh, you know, it's Roger Daltrey. Oh my God. You know, I'm watching, <laughs> you know, yes, <laughs> I'm watching Tommy all over again. And I'm, yeah. I'm next to that, you know, it's, like, it's kind of fun. It's like, well, I actually, uh, Elizabeth Grayson who played uh, uh, Amanda said to me, you know, you saved his life. I said, I didn't save his life. I just kind of helped him from choking. <laughs> because we Roger and I were always joking we were always joking yeah. around and playing and, and Elizabeth and I one day we were sit, we'd come back from a long day on the set we'd, I think actually I think it was the time we did this, this uh, Stone of Schoon which is the story about the the this, the the, the, um, the Scottish stone which was put into Westminster Abbey and then somebody stole it and yeah. so Fitzcairn played by Roger and I we tried to steal the damn thing and then it, it went back to the point when we were doing this golf thing in the middle of the board and everything that day was just all like fun and joking around and doing so we went to dinner that night and i sat down with him and roger's at the other end of the table and, and elizabeth's in the middle with us and all of a sudden roger's we're talking and roger goes <coughs> and wow. i'm laughing and i'm like yeah all right it's good. And it looked like he was pretending to choke and all of a sudden elizabeth and i both realized he was actually choking he got something stuck in him and she like smokes. suddenly just looks at me like, "What are we gonna do?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, let me try this." So I ran over behind him and I kind of gave him a Heimlich, and it came up as a piece of bread that got stuck in the back of his throat. And so wow. I'm like, it was just like, but it was bizarre. But you know, Roger and I were always kind of kidding around, and and uh, you know, I, I, he's such a really nice man. I, I always enjoyed being around him. It was it was fun. So. Uh, we we were very lucky with the guest stars that we got, and uh, and I think you know in the entire series there were only maybe two or three that, you know, were an issue, or you know, um, didn't turn out to be quite the nicest people in the world. Yeah, but, you know that happens. Well, and and this this gets back to to us talking about you know you, you getting into acting and 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 things like this. Uh, you just. For whatever reason, you just run into these kind of people in all facets of life. Uh, how how did you guys deal with some of the some of the difficult people that you know were either there because their agent booked them or <laughs> or they they weren't exactly a Highlander fan? They were just well, I got to do this show. Yeah, well, there were a couple of those. Uh, yeah. yeah, the funny thing was. Mythos, people, uh, Peter Wingfield, originally, when I first met him, I mean, I love Peter, so don't get me wrong, but the first time I met him, he had no clue about the show. His agent had just booked him the show, and he comes on set, and I'm talking to him about, oh, yeah, well, there'll be more than two this, and we're going to do sword fight, we're doing this. He's looking at me like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Probably didn't have a clue what I was talking about, but it was kind of fun. But, you know, he turned out to be one of the nicer ones that did that. But there were <laughs> one or two yeah. That came on, you know, like I'm this important actor from blah, oh, blah, yeah. blah, whatever. And I'm oh, like, yeah. uh, you know what? You're here for a show, you know, be nice because it just, you'll be gone in a minute. So it doesn't really matter, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, 
this this has been tremendous. I have really enjoyed uh, chatting well, with you. you today. I've and, enjoyed this. And uh, thanks for spending as much time as you did with us. Um, I uh, I do know that uh, I, I've I've spoken to your 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 staff over there at the Sword Experience, which, by the way, I want to I can't thank them enough. They uh, they hunted down your schedule. They did all they all they could to put this together, and uh, they helped facilitate this incredible interview today. So uh, I I can't get out of the interview without thanking them. Um, when, when are some of your other sword experience events? How, how often do you plan these, these in advance and everything? Well, I've got a, I've got a really nice, good team of people around me. You know, um, the person you're probably talking to a lot is Brandy, who's phenomenal. She, she handles a lot of the stuff. Um, sword experiences, obviously last year, um, normally I, I did about 27, 25 to 27 in 2019. Yeah. And last year I did six. So, um, wow. coming back this year, I said, we've got to get the events out. And, uh, so we started in April, bringing a couple out. We've had, we had a couple in May and then June, we have four events in June. One is Boston. Uh, we, last weekend I was in uh, Lakeland, Florida, which, uh, had a great turnout, uh, Boston, uh, which is next week. And then the following week I'm in Chicago, then I'm in Philadelphia and then in, um, uh, July, I'm at Combat Con, which is uh, in Las Vegas. There's two events we've got there, and then I've got another one after that at a convention in – oh, God, I don't know wherever it is. Anyway, I've got a bunch <laughs> of them coming up. Uh, you know, i just going to go, where am I supposed to be? Where, okay, book this hotel. I'm getting on that flight. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so, so we have a few, and we try to do different ones. Um, I've got, an, I've got a, a retreat coming up in, at the end of the year that I'm just trying to book the, the hotel – which is about a two, three day in Mexico. Uh, but wow. those are really cool because that's things like, you know, our, our retreats, we've done a couple of them before. It's not just about sword work. It's about visiting the location. So in Mexico, there are things like cenotes, which are uh, underground or overground pools of water and yes. uh, swimming with turtles and the Mayan ruins and all those different things, as well as the beach time as well, you know, and you get the training. But uh, that kind of stuff is with, we're, we're trying to do at least – or we will be trying to do at least one or two or three of those a year because they tend to be wow. more fun and more, or a little bit more expensive of course, because you're spending yeah. a lot more time there with the hotel and food and all that stuff. But, um, they're kind of fun. You can find everything out on our site when we launch it. And as I said, we're trying to literally catch up to some of the things we did yes. last year. And yes. uh, now things are opening up a little bit and, uh, we still have to have a mandate mask regulations, uh, I hate the mask, but you know I'm trying to uh, keep you know the keep the faith from you know and and make sure that uh, and my insurance will tell me this too that you know I have to have certain regulations in in, in place. But um, you know we are coming back and uh, we're, we've got a lot of events coming up, so I'm I'm happy about that. That's awesome. Well, I know that uh, one of the things that I discussed. With uh, with your people over there at Sword Experiences, that uh, you guys may be possibly going back to Colorado sometime uh, this this yeah. summer or fall, and uh, if if you are if if when that gets agreed upon, uh, I am trying to schedule some time to do a an in person video interview with you at the event. Oh, that'd so be cool. That'd I, be cool. Yeah, I, we had we had one in Colorado just recently. Uh, 
was May, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And it was sold out. And uh, I already have about 20, 23 people on a waiting list for, a ne- for the next one when I mentioned I was probably, probably coming back. So um, uh, we're just waiting for the location. We have a fantastic location because, as I said, we do different places. Yeah. And, you know, from wineries to castles to uh, abandoned buildings and railway <laughs> I think stations. that's great. And, you know, they're all kind, it's all this kind of filmic kind of cool stuff, you know. And so we've got a great location in Colorado Springs, but it's still quite not open yet to the public. And we, they've told us we can do it, but it just depends when we can actually release saying, okay, it's coming out. But it, it will, you know, probably um, – It'll sell out pretty quick, I think, because yes. uh, we, as I said, we, are, we we usually on that type of a location, we probably have forty people max, uh, because it's. Wow. I, I want to make sure that people get a, a good time. Um, to, you can be a spectator as well; that's extra. But um, you know, just doing the actual event itself all day long uh, to film it to get all the because now we we turn them on our Facebook pages. Uh, sorry, on our YouTube page, you'll see that. We now turn these into little stories and little documentaries now. So we talk about wow. the location, the instructors, the people themselves, the actual fight that we're choreographing will be specifically, you know, cut together and edited and put together like a three-minute movie or two-minute movie story yeah. that's kind of fun uh, to finalize the, um, the the event itself. So, you know, it's it's Colorado has that. Uh, that's why I, I, whenever I get that location, then I'll put the story behind it. And then people will, That's awesome. some of them become the actors in the story. You know, it's that kind of thing. So they become the action star the, for the day type of thing. That is tremendous. Well, uh, I will, I will keep up to keep up to speed with your people. And uh, when you get that Colorado deal booked, uh, I definitely will be there with my camera folks because I definitely want to do uh, do this on on video for our TV show at some point. So uh, this th- th- this has been fun. Thank you for spending as much time as you have with me and. Uh, I really appreciate the time and your insight and uh, and everything. Oh, James, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here today. And now I've got to go and take my son son to soccer. You're kind of like a Seinfeld episode. We 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 we, we got to bring it all back to the beginning when we were talking exactly, about football exactly. and soccer. Yeah, it's book ending. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Adrian, thank you, my friend, and I will talk to you thank soon. You. Have yourself a wonderful thank day. Thank you. You do by now. Thank you, sir. There he goes. That's Adrian Paul, the amazing Adrian Paul. And uh, that was fantastic. Thanks for joining us today here on the big broadcast. And we will see you next time. Peace. And I'm out of 5,000, my friend. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.